It's great to see you. My name is Paul, I'm the pastor here, and you've joined us on a great night. We're kicking off a new sermon series in the book of Genesis. Uh, easy to find, page one of the Bible, so grab, grab the Bible, turn to page one, book of Genesis. You might be asking, um, why are we looking at Genesis? Uh, how is Genesis uh, relevant to us today? Uh, why don't we just look at the New Testament? Sure, it's all about Jesus. Why, why bother going back to the beginning of time, to the beginning of the Bible? Let me give you a few reasons as we kick off. Uh, we live in such a, a spiritual society. We live in a multi-faith society. Uh, you've got uh, Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and Christians and Jews and atheists and materialists. And, and as we live in this spiritual society, it raises questions like, uh, is there a God? Is there one God or, or many gods? Uh, what is this God really like? And we're bombarded with books like uh, the, the God Delusion by Dawkins. And it's important that we read those kind of books and engage with those kind of books. But it raises the questions like, does God exist? And if he does exist, what exactly is his character like? And if he does exist, what does it mean to be human and to relate to him? We live in a spiritual society and Genesis is going to help us to answer some of those questions. I think we also live in a, a psychological society. By that I mean we're obsessed by who are we and what does it mean to be human and where do I find my identity and what's my purpose in this world? Why am I here? And again, Genesis answers those kind of questions. I think we live in a, I'm trying to think of the word for this, a um, environmentalist society, an ecological society. Uh, where we're sort of kind of obsessed with you know, recycling and global warming and the greenhouse gases and all those kind of questions. And it raises the question like, what's the relationship between us and the world that we live in? And how should we care for this world? And why should we care for this world? And Genesis is going to answer those kind of questions. And of course, we live in a, a scientific society. We live in a scientific world where... Uh, the book of Genesis and the idea of creation is just being attacked from every single angle. And so you've got Big Bang theories, you've got evolution theories, and you've got arguments over the age of the world. Do we live in a, a world that is uh, a young Earth, which is sort of 10,000 years old, or do you live in an old Earth, which is, you know, carbon dating suggests 10 millions of years old? What kind of world do we live in? It's funny, in all these debates between scientists and, um, and Christians, one thing is obscure, that both of them actually agree that there was a beginning and there was a creation. And I find it really ironic when you read the Bible, it just says, in the beginning, at some point. It doesn't actually give you a date or a time, in the beginning. But that's not the purpose of Genesis. Genesis is not written as a, a scientific textbook, not trying to tell us how the world came into being. That's not the purpose of Genesis. The purpose is to tell us why. Why we're here? Why did God create the world? I'm a scientist, I've got a PhD in science, and it's extraordinary that uh, most of the scientists of old, the famous scientists of old, are actually Christians. You know, Lord Rutherford, who is the father of nuclear science, nuclear physics, who discovered the, the nucleus of the atom or the splitting of the atom, he's a Christian guy. Uh, when he had his labs in the university in Cambridge, above the labs he had Psalm 111 put across it that just says, Great are the works of the Lord, uh, sought out by those who have pleasure in him. Uh, 
The scientists of old, many of them were Christians, and scientists today, Christians should engage with science, but let's not get bogged down with uh, sort of the hows of this world. Let, let's investigate the hows, but let's not say that that contradicts the, the Genesis account or the whys of this world. But there's another reason why we should uh, look at Genesis, much more important than those four. That's because 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed, and Genesis 1 is scripture. The word Genesis just means the beginning, the start. It's scripture. It claims to be the word of God. It was written down by Moses. Uh, Jesus tells us that. It's funny how could Moses know what happened at the beginning of time? Only if the Spirit of God inspired him. Who, who could tell us what it was like at creation? Who could tell us what it was like at the beginning of the world? Only the person who was there at the beginning of the world. And when you read Genesis 1 verse 2, there's a beautiful bit where it says, uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. I find that really neat that the the spirit who was there at the beginning of the world, the spirit of God, is the same spirit that inspired Moses and told Moses what happened at the beginning. Of course he could tell him because he was there, the spirit was there. And that same spirit inspired Moses to write down an account called Genesis that we have today. So Genesis is the inspired, infallible word of God. And it exists to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, and to train us. And so when we read Genesis, let's have those questions in mind. What is this teaching us? How is this rebuking us? How is it correcting us? How is it training us to be more like Christ? We're going to begin with Genesis 1, because it's the best place to start. And Genesis 1 is kind of the overture to the whole Bible. Unless you understand Genesis 1, unless you understand the beginning of the story, you'll never understand the rest of the Bible. We're going to have it read to us now, so why don't I pray, and then listen to the word of God. Father, thanks for the scriptures that were inspired by your spirit. Lord, we want to thank you that you preserved the word and that you, down the centuries, have had men and women translate it and pass it on accurately so that we can know you. We thank you for that same spirit that inspired Moses that lives in us, the same spirit that illuminates that word and teaches us. And so I pray now for a great outpouring of your spirit tonight that we would have minds and hearts that are shaped by the scriptures. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water 
under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God calls the expanse sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing, which the waters teem according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thanks, Christian. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's an extraordinary uh, chapter. There's a teaching us great truths about an extraordinary God. There's nothing quite like it in the whole Bible. Just look at the first four words with me. In the beginning, God. Stop there. In the beginning, God. God is the the subject of the very first sentence in the whole of scriptures. The word is Elohim, which means a powerful one, the almighty one. But it all starts with God at the center. And there are some people who find that so irritating because they want proof that that God exists. And you can have the the old watchmaker argument that you can't have a complex structure like a watch without someone behind it and how much more complicated is the world so there must be someone behind it. But God's not interested in that. He doesn't care about the philosophical questions that how does God come to existence. He just says, I am God. I've always existed. I am eternal. There was never a time when I was not. The Bible is not about philosophy. It's about theology, about the study of God. In the beginning, God. This is about a creator God who created his creation. And you've got to get that right because God is the hero if you want. Please stop reading the Bible thinking it's all about you. And please stop reading the Bible that it's all about the world that you live in. It's not. You're just the, the second player if you want. And the world's the third player. It's about God. If you think the Bible is just a handy, uh, handy book on self-help, you will misread the Bible. It begin the beginning, God. I've grappled hard this week as to how to teach Genesis 1 so it's not a lecture. The best way I can do it is to teach you four great truths about God. First one is this. God is the sovereign creator of everything. God is a sovereign creator of all things. Just look at it with me. Uh, In the beginning, God created. Stop there. In the beginning, God created. You think, oh, that's interesting. Until you know that the word create, the verb create, if you want, only God can be the subject. 
because that verb create means that you bring something into existence that didn't exist before. That you bring something out of nothing if you want. And that is God. We, we can't bring things out of nothing. We can't suddenly magic up something. We can make things. The word make means that you take an existing thing and you remold it and you reshape it and you form something. The word create means that you start with nothing and you bring something into existence. Now, who can do that? Only somebody who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-divine, that's God. And just like uh, the artist has the freedom and power to do what he wants, God can create whatever he wants. So what did God create? Look at it, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the earth. It's like we might say, <clears throat> I know, from head to toe. If you say from head to toe, it means it's, it includes the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the, the pecs and the abs and the, the thighs and the feet. It includes everything from head to toe. Or from top to bottom, we might say. It means you, everything in between. That first verse is just saying, in the beginning, God created from nothing the heavens and the earth and everything in between. Yes, he made the sun, and yes, he made the trees, and yes, he made the crocodiles, and yes, he made the ant, and yes, he made the biggest plant you could ever imagine. Yes, he made that, and he made the monkeys, and he made you, and he made me. He made it all. At some point, our great creator God made everything. Without God, nothing is made that has been made, the Bible says. Now, that's just the first verse of Genesis 1. Now, how does that rebuke you? It, it rebukes all these kind of creation myths. Every single culture, every society has their own creation myths about how these gods came into existence and they fought with each other and suddenly earth sprang into being and then, and then human beings sprang, sprang into existence. And Genesis 1-1 says, no, no, God created everything. No other gods. Did you spot how much... Focus was on verses 14 to 19 on the, the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavenly bodies. Why is that? Because in every other creation myths, you have these astral bodies, the sun, moon, and stars, and they're worshipped as gods. And God is going to say, no, no, no. I am God, and I created everything. They're not gods. The sun's not a god. The moon is not a god. The stars are not gods. I just made them all. I love verse 16. Third way line, he also made the stars. He just clicked his fingers and billions of stars. He made those two. See, stars are not to be followed. They're just part of God's created hand. And I want you just to stop and just to, just to grasp this. He made everything. Think about the smallest thing that your mind can comprehend. Smaller than a hair follicle. Smaller than an ant. Smaller than a, get your microscope out. The 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 atom, the nucleus, the neutron, the proton, or the tiniest tiny quark. He, he made that, and then stretch your imagination to the the largest thing you can ever imagine. You know, on a clear day, and the outback, you look into the sky, you could see the naked eye can see about 25,000 stars, if that. And then multiply that by about a million times a million times a million. Because that's how vast God's creation really is. And he made every single one of them. 
the planets that we're just discovering and we've never heard of, he made that too. And when you think about that, you're supposed to sit there and you're supposed to go, I'm so small, I'm so tiny, and he is just awesome. And I use that word literally, awesome. As in awe-inspiring. He's so mighty, he's so powerful, he's so other, that he could just click his fingers and everything comes into existence. And how do you respond to that God? Surely the, the one word is, is worship. The word literally means that you fall at your feet and you bow before him and you recognize him as awesome and awe-inspiring. We're supposed to look at creation and look at the, the waterfalls and the sunrises and the mountains and a beautiful, beautiful newborn baby. And we're supposed to worship God because he created all those things. But we don't. We're just like Romans 1 says. Romans 1 says this. Romans 1 verse 20. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made, so that men are without excuse. But then it says, they knew God, but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles, and they worshipped creation. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And friends, we do that every day, don't we? We worship the created things rather than the one who stands behind it all, the created God. And so we worship the sun and we worship the sand and we worship our bodies and we worship food and we worship entertainment and we just worship things rather than worshipping the creator God who made them all. But who was it who made them all? God, yes. Get more specific. Who was it who made everything? If you know your Bibles, and this blew my mind the first time I, I, I understood this, it was actually your saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made it all. That's what the Bible says. Uh, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And who is that Word? The Word became flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what Genesis 1 tells us, remember? That God speaks, and the world comes into existence. What, what is the, the Word? The living Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 says the same thing. By him, Jesus, all things were created. Hebrews 1, through Jesus, the universe was made. See, we don't just worship an awesome God who is just so big that our minds can't comprehend. God, in his kindness, has stepped into the world and said, Hi, I'm the creator. I'm the one who made it all, so, so worship me. But that blew my mind. That Jesus created all things. And that's why we bow before him and worship him. Simple first point, God's the sovereign creator of all things, so, so worship God and worship Jesus. Number two, God rules over an orderly creation. 
God rules over an orderly creation. Genesis 1 is so carefully structured. So verse 1 in Hebrew, it's a seven-word sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then look at the end of the passage, chapter 2, verse 1. The heavens and the earth were completed. Why? 2, verse 3. Because God rested from all the work of creating he had done. And you've got these two bookends. In the beginning, God created. It ends with 2, verse 3. God finished all the work of creating. And in between, in between these two bookends, you've got everything patterned on a number seven. You've got seven paragraphs with seven days. You've got seven divine statements, let there be. Seven times we're told it was so. Seven times God saw it was good. And if you chase the words, God and heavens and earth, it all comes in multiples of seven. And the whole chapter is shouting seven, seven, seven. Why? Because seven in Hebrew thinking is the number for perfection or for completion. In Hebrew, you have two sets of three plus one for completion or one for perfection. And that's exactly the pattern here. Two sets of three and one for completion. Now stick with me. Days one to three, God forms the creation. Days four to six, God fills the creation. And then day seven... It's perfect, it's complete. Let's see how it works. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. It's without form, and so God is going to form the earth. So day 1 happens. Verse 3, God says, let there be light. And there was light. That's the first step, from from chaos to order is light. Now light in the Bible is always a, a symbol of purity or a symbol of life. And it's like when you, you walk into a, a darkened room. The first thing you do is just switch on the light. That's what God does. Day one, he forms a light, and then day four, come down to verse 14, he fills it. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And so God made two great lights, the sun and the moon, and he also made the stars. Now before you ask it, There's no problem with God creating light before he makes the sun and the moon and the stars. Of course God can do that. Anyway, if you know your Bibles, Revelation 22 verse 5 tells us in the new creation there'll be no sun because the presence of God is its light. Day one, God is there giving light and he fills it with the sun and the moon and the stars. Same, with, same pattern, day two and day five match each other. God forms a sky on day two, and then God fills the sky on day four. Look at it with me. Uh, verse six, God says, day two, let there be an expanse between the water to separate water from water. And so God made the expanse to separate the water, and he called the expanse in verse eight, sky. And then he fills it on day five. Look at verse 20. Let the waters teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And so God created all the great creatures of the sea. He had the dolphins and the whales and the tiny fish and the massive crocodiles. He made all those things and every living creatures that move according to their kind. Those words are important, according to their kinds. They're all different. They're different breeds. They're not all the same. See, God forms the skies and then God fills it. And the same with day three and six, God forms the land on day three. So in verse nine, he gathers up to one place and let dry ground appear. It was so, and God called the dry ground 
land. And then in verse 11, he produces vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit. So in the beginning, you just had uh, fruits and you had berries. But again, you've got the words, according to their kind. This is important. They're all different at the beginning of creation. God created raspberries and cranberries and strawberries and apples and bananas and pears. He didn't create apples and then suddenly, in a hundred years' time, the apples evolved into pears. At the beginning, they were all different. They were all distinct. He forms a land and then in verse 24 onward, he fills the land. And so he creates creatures of every kind, cattle, wild animals, mice, reptiles, creepy things. And then, verse 26, he made man. Look at it with me. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. And we're given this special role in verse 26 to, to, to rule over the earth, to rule over the creatures. But you see how carefully constructed this whole chapter is. It moves from the heavens to the earth, and then God's formed for, for three days, God fills for three days, and then he rests because it's complete and it's perfect. So what is God teaching us? 2 Timothy 3.16, what is God teaching us or rebuking us or correcting us? He's just teaching that God's world, God's creation is ordered. And it's perfect. This grand design, this majestic, magical, ordered sequence, everything is in place. You know, he, he creates berries and fruits before he creates the animals. because They need that, they need the food. And he creates light so that the, the berries and the fruits can keep growing because they need that. And he creates the animals and then he creates the human beings and we are there as the crown of his creation. And we're just, we're just supposed to go, wow, God is so structured and so perfect and so ordered. And do you know what? I am different from the animals. I am different from the trees. Amen. See, there is structure. This big bang theory that there's just a random outpouring of energy it's so inconsistent with Genesis chapter 1. At least evolution has some order to it. It's an interesting shift in the last 30 years where Darwin's theory of evolution has become Darwin's fact of evolution. I have to say I've got no problem with what's called microevolution. Uh, by microevolution, what I mean is that uh, over time, you know, plants or, or animals can adapt to their environment. So... You know, you might have had one kangaroo to begin with, but now you've got a, a red kangaroo and a, a grey kangaroo. No problem with that. But I do have a problem with macroevolution, where I'm told that you know, an apple suddenly becomes a kangaroo, or a kangaroo suddenly becomes a human being. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. We're told we're made unique and distinct and different from creation at one specific time in history. Oh, but you say, oh... But you can't take Genesis 1 literally, surely. I mean, you expect me to believe that, that God could create the world in a mere week. Why not? Is your God not big enough for that? He could have made the week in six hours or six minutes or six seconds if he wanted to. And yeah, sure, we can discuss whether that word day means 24 hours or period of time. And we can disagree on that. That's okay. As long as you say that your God could have done it, because he's big enough to do it. We're supposed to read these chapters and say, wow, God's creation is so perfectly ordered. 
day follows night and you've got daytime to work and nighttime to sleep and then the sun rises and the sun sets and the seasons, winter follows autumn, follows summer, follows spring and we've got food and we've got plants and wow, my God is so ordered and so perfect and so structured. He's a mathematician's dream, isn't he? Yeah, we've got a messed up world and yes, Romans tells us our world is groaning but it was a perfect world. And God governs it and God rules over it. So God divided light from darkness. God divided land from sea. And God named everything. The earth is not a clock that you just wind up and then walk away and let it tick, 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 tick. God is governing his world every minute of every day. Do you know why you, you get up in the morning? Because the sun rises. Who caused the sunrise tomorrow? Your creator God. Who's caused the sun to set tonight? Your creator God. Who causes the, the earth to spin at exactly the right angle, exactly the right speed so that you don't freeze to death? Your creator God. He holds this whole world in his mighty, mighty hand even today. And that means that he holds you in his hand as well. Because you're part of his creation. And there's nothing that you do or happens to you that he doesn't hold in his mighty hand. I often think that uh, kids' songs or kids' theology actually are, are so spot on. They're just... Perfect. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. Boom, boom. And because he rules over this world and holds you in his hand, what does that mean for you? Surely it means that you can trust him with your life and trust him with your tomorrow and trust him with your next month and next year because he holds you in his hand. Much more quickly, number three. That God's character is expressed in his creation. God's creation, God's world is supposed to be an expression of, of God, his character, his will. He's revealing himself through his creation. Like an artist or like a composer who creates a piece of music to express themselves. Now, now what are the words that you would use to describe God? Tell me, from this, from this chapter, how would you describe God? We've had ordered and structured, what else? Majestic. What word comes up time and time and time again? God saw that it was good. His creation is good, and that's because he is a good God. His creation reveals what his character is like. Everything that God has made is good because he's a good God. And he's not like the blokes. You know, difference between men and women. Women look in the mirror and they see everything that's wrong with them. Oh, that's a bit too big, a bit too fat. And, and men look in the mirror and they go, looking good. <laughs> God's not like that. Because he is good. Everything is good. And yes, we live in a messed up world, but God is still good. And when your life sucks and when your life really hurts, he's still a good God. There's another word that comes... Again and again in the, this chapter. See it in verse 22. God blessed them. So there again in verse 29. God, sorry, 28. God blessed them. That's God's character. God a great blessing. You know, the fact that the sun rises tomorrow is a blessing from God. And the fact that you take a breath today is a blessing from God. And yeah, our world is messed up. 
But just think what it would be like if God wasn't a God of blessing and just a God of curse. We're supposed to look at creation and go, wow, that's what my God is like. And so we praise him and we rejoice at his character. But lastly tonight, that you, human beings, you and me, we're created in the image of God. We'll look more at this next week. You can disagree on some of the details of Genesis 1, but please don't disagree on this. That God was, was preparing an earth, an environment, if you want, that, that we as human beings could live in and flourish and thrive and have work and play and rest and love and relationship. He did that for us. Why? Well, look at verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image. In our likeness. He never uses that word for the birds or the sea creatures or the animals. We are made in the likeness or the image of God. What does that mean? Oh, we've got minds so we can think. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of being made in the image of God. Uh, we've got mouths so we can talk and we can communicate. Yep. Yeah. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. You've got a conscience, so you know what's right and wrong. Yeah, that's part of it, what it means to be made in the image of God. But it's something more beautiful than that. It's about being relational, having the capacity to love and the capacity to forgive. So it's a human love is kind of a glimpse of what it really means for God to love us and human forgiveness is kind of what it means for a glimpse of what it means for, for God to forgive us and it just means that we're made in the image of God and the likeness of God so we've got the capacity to know right and wrong and to love God and to love each other and to have all these things like a mind and communication which is exactly what God is like we're kind of like just a glimpse of the perfect character of God do you spot the hint of the Trinity in verse 26, 27, let us make man in our image. Why would God use that word us? Because he is a relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are relational beings as human beings. There's something something really, really beautiful about being human. It means that we have value, we have dignity, we have worth. Yeah, male and female, he made them, verse 27, but they are different. Not different in value, not different in worth, not different in dignity, but we're both image bearers of God's, but we're different in God's wisdom. He's made us different. Look more at that next week. The point is, my friends, that every human being is made in the image of God. That means that we have no right to, to discriminate against people, to look down on people, to hate people. Because they're an image bearer of God. It means that you need to take care of yourself because you're an image bearer of God. And it means that you're heading for a new heaven and a new earth where you will be a new creation because that's what God has made us for, for relationship with him for all eternity. If I said to you again that same question, what is Genesis 1 all about? Why bother with Genesis 1? It's all about a God who is eternal, who exists outside of time. He's before time. 
He's not dependent on his creation. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's not part of creation. He's not bound to his creation. He chooses to involve himself in his creation, and he's just beautiful. His handiwork is supposed to say, wow, our God is beautiful. He's amazing. He's awesome. And he speaks. His word goes out, and when his word goes out, it changes everything. And he's still a God that speaks today through his word and through his Lord Jesus Christ. And he's good, and he blesses us, and he's perfect. And he's the God who sent his son so that you could know him. Don't you want to know that kind of God? The God who made everything and made you wants to know you. And that's why he sent his son. Some of us are afraid that we just tick the box and say, yeah, God is a creator. It's so much bigger than that. <laughs> Our God is an awesome God. Praise him, worship him, trust him, love him, stand in awe of him. As you walk out tonight, if you see the moon, praise him. If you get up early tomorrow morning and see a sunrise, praise him. When you see the harbour and the sun glistening on the harbour, praise him. If you see a child walking down the street, it's a blessing from God, praise him. Just praise him because he is worthy of praise. Let me pray. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Father, I want to thank you for your perfect creation. Lord, our minds can't comprehend the power and the might that you hold in your hands. As we think about the stars and the planets and the moon and the sun and the oceans and the mountains, you are so mighty and so powerful. Lord, you could just destroy us in a breath. And yet in your kindness and in your blessings, you choose not to. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would stretch our minds, that we would stand in awe of you, that we would say how small we really are, that we are not God, that you are God. Humble us, I pray. As we think about how powerful you are, Lord, I pray that we would therefore trust you, that we would have such a confidence that you hold our lives in your hand that would give us comfort and assurance. Whatever we're going through in life, Lord, that you would remind us that we are held by a majestic and mighty God. So, Lord, help us to praise you and forgive us for times when we worship creation rather than you as our creator God. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.